Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All right. So hi, everybody. This is Karen Fabian, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and we are here with another episode. This is episode 47 of the Bare Bones Yoga podcast called Conversations for Yoga Teachers. And I'm here today. Uh, there's a, I'm doing another episode where I have a teacher, a yoga teacher uh, on the podcast with me, and we're going to be going over just lots of different topics. And if you've been listening to the podcast over the past couple of episodes, I've had a number of yoga teachers on and it all kind of spurned from a thought I put out to my anatomy Facebook group where I asked teachers uh, who are on the newer end of things um, to come on the podcast and talk about their experiences teaching and I've been super grateful for the teachers who have been willing to do that because it brings up a lot of things that we often don't get time to talk about as we kind of pass each other in the studios or even if we don't pass each other in the studios but we're out there teaching and coming up against these things and it's always great to bring them out into the open and discuss them so today i have a teacher on the podcast uh margie and margie tell me how to pronounce your last name kirstein Kirstine. And Margie is actually, I'm in Boston and she's in Dedham. So we're, we're close. This is sometimes I talk to people who are not geographically close, but Margie and I are in the same area. And although we've never met in person, so this is kind of nice. We're meeting virtually, but yet we could drive 10, 10 minutes and, and be face to face. Um, and Margie uh, is a yoga teacher and she was agreeable to being on the podcast today. So thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So, um, so Margie and I were talking before we went live and she had also written me an email with a little bit of her background. And the really cool thing about Margie that I think um, you will find interesting as well is that she actually is a career teacher teacher, right? And so I was telling her that a lot of the teachers that I speak with uh, come from different varied backgrounds in terms of what they did before they were teaching yoga. Uh, and many of them, of course, are still doing their full-time job and teaching yoga on the side. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually, I'd have to think about it, but at least certainly not of late and not on the podcast, had the opportunity to talk to a yoga teacher who also is an academic teacher as well. And because those things 
seemingly are similar, but perhaps in actuality are not, this actually gives us a lot to talk about. So Margie, let's start out for the listeners and just give them an idea of a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your focus in teaching, because in your email, you went into a little bit about that, which I think is a little bit of a niche. So tell us about that. Right. Well, well, who I am, as Karen said, is I am a semi-retired educator. I worked uh, teaching in public schools for most of my career. I taught English to immigrant, mostly kids and also adults. And um, also when I was a teenager, I taught myself yoga out of a book. So um, I, it was Hatha Yoga. This is many decades ago. And I learned to do all the poses, including the, um, the headstand. And then, you know, I just kept on going to yoga classes over the years. And at some point, um, I started being really dissatisfied with the yoga classes that I was going to because I was getting older and yoga was getting like harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it wasn't until uh, two summers ago that I took the plunge and I decided to become a yoga teacher because there's a program uh, called Breathe for Change, which is designed more for educators. So people who want to use wellness in their, um, in their teaching. And that wasn't my situation, but I thought it was a good, you know, like I was on the verge of leaving the classroom. But I thought it was a good group of people to be in with like-minded people who have similar professional backgrounds. And then um, one of the graduates of the program started a class out in Lemonster, Mass. And she said, why don't you come out once a month and you can just practice teaching. And that allowed me to really, in a very safe environment, to really um, get my feet wet. And at the same time that I became a yoga teacher, I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. So I went to some classes, uh, yoga for bone health, taught by a wonderful teacher called Masha Lerner. And I decided I'm going to make a sequence that's for people like me who have certain um, physical considerations because there are certain contraindications of yoga poses for osteoporosis. And I'm going to look really like do some research. So I created this sequence. And I went out to my friend Mona Lisa's class and I practiced teaching it. And then one of my friends who's a yoga teacher said, why don't you just get out there and teach? And I said, oh, okay. So I kind of like advertise on the electronic bulletin board for Dedham and, you know, there was interest. So I started having a class once a week at my home. I have a nice backyard, which we used in the summer and a beautiful attic space. And I have a regular, you know, a few regulars now and some other people who drop in and out who come and practice yoga with me on a weekly basis. So I've continued to research and, you know, refine my, my sequence. Now I have more than one sequence um, that I use depending basically on the time of day. So evening is a little more gradual and restful and day is a little bit more energetic. Mm -hmm. So I'm just learning as I go. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I wanna, I wanna just kind of stop for a moment and just acknowledge you because you're just kind of like saying all these things, but I really need to stop and acknowledge you for what you're doing. So you basically talked about not only creating your own sequences, which is really great and certainly something that can be challenging for teachers, 
Um, the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was so cool is you just kind of went out and put your name on an electronic bulletin board and you just kind of did the kind of guerrilla marketing grassroots kind of thing to get the word out. And that is also something that, you know, it just really dem demonstrates that you just kind of had a go for it attitude. And I, I guess I just was wondering, in terms of doing that, did you have any nerves about doing that? I mean, especially because you were having people come to your house versus a studio class. How did you, you know, was that difficult for you to think about doing? Or were you just like, well, this is just the common next step. I'm going to put my name out there on this bulletin board and whoever comes, comes. And that's, you know, I'll work out the payment piece and all of that. How did that work? Well, I constantly have nerves, you know, every minute that I think about, oh my God, I have to teach yoga, I have nerves. But I, I will share with you that I'm a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. And so yoga is part of my recovery. It's been now over six years since I was diagnosed. And so the osteoporosis is related to my chemotherapy right. treatment, the right. low bone density. And, you know, having gone through that experience, it just made me realize that my health is my number one priority in life, period. Right. And even my oncologist told me, make exercise your religion. Those uh -huh. were his exact words. And so, you know, yoga seemed like a really natural thing to pursue since I already was very familiar with a lot of yoga poses. Um, so I guess... Even though it's really scary and putting myself out there is not at all something that I would normally do, uh -huh. I just feel like there's a greater motivation driving me and I can kind of, I acknowledge the nerves, but I put them aside because I know this is really important for me. And if it's important for me, it's important for other people right. in my situation. You know, most of my people who come to my class are, are women. I've had a couple of men. Um, you know, tend to be older, right? Yeah. 50s, 40s, 60s. Um, and I think for our generation, especially for women, it's super, super important to keep the bones healthy. I mean, one out of two Americans has osteoporosis and a very much higher proportion of women. Right. So, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to, I'm doing something really good for myself. And I'm trying to also just say, hey, you know, I'm offering this not in an evangelical way, but because I, you know, it's important as you get older to really be strong and have stability and have strong bones and all of that. So, right. yeah, the, the nerves are, are always with me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit when I mentioned earlier about you being a teacher and you mentioned it in your background, what um, ages were you teaching? Um, mostly high school. I started out in elementary school. Like I had a, a young child. I kind of moved up the grades with him. Um, but once I hit the high school level, I said, I found my, my yeah. place. This is my tribe. And I taught mostly uh, juniors and seniors over my high school teaching career. And I love kids that age. You know, yeah. just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned to me in the email, especially because you have so much experience teaching over many, many years. Right. Um, how was that shift to teaching yoga? Well, I guess I, you know, as a teacher, I was always very confident that I knew my subject and I knew my craft. And, you know, in yoga, I had to convince myself that I knew what I was doing because I, 
I started out kind of thinking, oh, you know, I was an English teacher. I'm not really a movement person. And I thought, well, actually, yes, I am. So I made a list for myself of all the movement related things that I've done over the years. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, you can do this. You know, you've got this. Because I, I studied martial arts for many years. And I was yeah. like, okay, you can do this. And, um, you know, it's, but it's intimidating because like I said to you before we got on the air, when you're the yoga teacher, you're it. Right. You're talking. No one else is talking and they're just following along. And that's an unusual experience for most teachers. Mm-hmm. And it's good in a way because they're all just doing what you say, but you're not getting any feedback. Right. There's no interaction. So at the end of my classes, I always just look the students right in the eye and say, how was that? Like, how do you think? Because <laughs> I need to know. Because otherwise I'm thinking oh my God, they hated it, you know, and, and so on. And every yeah. time someone returns to my class, you know, for a second or third time, I'm like, oh my God, fantastic. Like they didn't hate it, you know? So it's, um, I because just my personality, I tend to be kind of modest and I, I don't know if I don't get feedback, am I doing a good job or not? It, whereas in teaching, especially with high school kids, they let you know, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it's kind of unedited, uh, you know, uh, kind of raw feedback, which, you know, has its own kind of, we have our own affection for that as well as kind of the more edited kind. But yeah, so, uh, you know, I also just want to, you know, when you just mentioned this again, these are all just really good nuggets from my perspective in terms of, you know, just your approach to things. When you said before you, um, you didn't think that you had any specific experience as a yoga teacher to lean on, even though you had all this teaching experience, but then you took a look at your background and you started to write things out and you realized, Hey, wait a minute, I do. And so that kind of self coaching that you did of self, is that a common thing that you do? Uh, Well, it's something that I learned to do, you know, late in life, I I learned about self coaching. And I actually, you know, had a coach for a little while. And um, my friend Robin, who's also a teacher, she coaches me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like I said, because I came at came to teaching yoga, you know, late in life, and I wasn't, I was an active person all my life, but not like super gifted athletically. And I've seen a lot of my perception of a lot of yoga teachers is that they were, they were dancers, or they were high school athletes, or, you know, something. And I, you know, that I do have movement in my background, but not, you know, I was never like a naturally gifted sort of athletic person. And so I always felt like a little bit inferior Uh, being older and being not as like strong and agile as some of of these amazing yoga teachers. So that was something that I just had to get over, like not thinking that way, like thinking, okay, for my age, I'm 64. I have a lot to offer. I look like a healthy fit person. You know, I can do a lot of things. And so just focusing really on my strengths, that helped me. But yeah, it did take some self-coaching for sure. Yeah, I think all of what you're saying is so is so right on. And I also think that there is a I I would wonder if there is a little bit of the wisdom of age that allows you to have a little bit of that 
compassion towards yourself when sometimes, you know, people that are in their twenties and thirties can tend to be, I mean, of course we all can be hard on ourselves, but I do wonder if there's something of that in there, you have a little bit more perspective to kind of say, Hey, I need to not take this so seriously. Is there a little bit of that in there too? Well, I know that I'm helping people and I know that the ultimate reason I'm doing it is for my own health and well-being. So, right. you know, like these other considerations are secondary. Right. Um, it's something that I really need to keep doing. And if I can involve other people, that's motivation for me as well as helpful for them. You know, it's interesting uh, that we're talking about age because I recently went to a yoga training and the two um, women that were leading the training, they were wonderful, but they were like half my age. And I just noticed so many things about pedagogic, pedagogically as teachers that I would not be doing that they really were not aware of because of their age. Right. You know what I mean? Like just certain ways of phrasing things. And I'm very conscious of when people come to my class, I want them to be comfortable. Right. I want them to feel like we're a little like we're friends, like it's right. a little community, you know, and that's, that's my main concern. And I never want somebody to feel like they're doing something wrong, or you just right. haven't got this yet. So, you know, and that is also how I would behave as a teacher in a classroom, right? With, you know, with with students of any type. So I think, yes, I do have that perspective of what's really important is how people feel, right? And how you make them feel. Right. Um, and not so much the actual performance of the person. Right. Like, right. hey, you're here trying to help yourself and that's good and I'm supporting you in that. Right. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when you were saying, you know, although you kind of coached yourself to focus on kind of the bigger picture and the benefit of what you were doing, not only for yourself, but to your students, um, you still had, and this is also something I hear from a lot of teachers, this kind of sense of like, who am I to be doing this? And I think that feeling is regardless of age. Uh, and, and even in some cases, regardless of experience, I mean, I bet when you were a new teacher, teacher, you probably had, you know, you had gone to school and you had, you know, kind of the academic background. And then there's that stepping into your role as a teacher and there are these kids in the room. So how does that, do you have that kind of sense of you're teaching, but yet you're wondering what people are thinking about you. And you also have this kind of thought of God, who am I to be doing this? Yeah, well, you you nailed it, Karen, because I remember my first, I taught adults for a long time before I got into teaching public school. And I remember walking into my first job in public school thinking nothing in my master's program prepared me for this. Yeah. And I was very lucky to have a wonderful uh, co-worker who was in the classroom next door, and she was very experienced. And she kept her door open in the door that... Um, joined the two rooms so I could always hear what she was saying and doing and at any time I was welcome to walk into her classroom to ask a question so she didn't offer to be my mentor but she was my mentor and I couldn't have done that without her and I often think you know one of the things that I really feel is missing for me as a newish yoga teacher is a peer group of other teachers who are you know honest about their struggles um, and who will, you know, in a way, 
that we could support each other. If I had that, that would be wonderful to me that I had, you know, somebody that I could go to or a group of people and say, hey, do you ever feel this way? And have you had this situation? How do you handle it? You know, I had a few bumps at the beginning. I had a woman come to my house and it turned out that that day there was nobody else. It was just her. And she, my class was going to be in my attic, right up on the third floor. And she got to the foot of the stairs and looked up and said, nope. Can't do it. Yeah. And she left. And I tried to like talk with her a little bit about like, oh, what's going on with you? And she, it seemed like she got really freaked out and she just sort of walked away from me. And I thought, oh my God, like what just happened? But I emailed her and said, oh, you know, I'm, I just want to make sure you're okay. Thank you for coming. You know, and she emailed back. She said, no, everything's fine. I just can't go upstairs. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, there were, there were moments when I thought, oh my goodness, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think too, you know, I don't think you actually, maybe you do realize it, but I certainly realize it in your, in our conversation here. So I just want to kind of put it out there because I think for a lot of the listeners, they might be thinking some of this. So the fact that you're teaching people in your home hmm. brings up a whole host of other issues right. that most teachers never have to deal with, right? right? So when you're teaching in a, and I've taught people in my home, uh, both groups and private. So I have that in my experience. And yet, in addition, I've taught in studios for 15 years. So I have both that happen at the same time. And I know as a teacher, when I see people in my home, it, it brings up a number of different things that need to be considered, right? So you need to think about what does your house look like? Is it accessible? What, what about personal boundaries? What if as a woman you have a male and what if it's the only male coming? You know, there's some, or I don't know, even vice versa, whatever, there are just other things. There's liability issues, there's release right. of, you know. So I guess I, again, I just wanna acknowledge you, you're just kind of like, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is happening. And, um, and you're, you're really creating uh, a connection with folks right. with this overarching mission of being of service. And that's kind of your overarching mission that's allowing you to just kind of deal with all these other things that are happening, keeping that as your kind of North Star. So that is just really great. So I guess now that I've kind of brought that up, tell me a little bit about, you know, did you have you ever thought about teaching in a studio and not having to worry about a lot of those things or is teaching in your house really kind of your vibe your way of making a connection with people i mean i've taught i volunteer with the hands to heart center and i so i've gone to different locales and and taught as a volunteer for for people in those groups those are free community classes for yep. um, people who aren't familiar with hands to heart center it's amazing an amazing organization mm-hmm. and um so i like doing that i guess i i guess honestly part of me feels like am i good enough to teach in a studio you know like uh-huh. i i kind of still see what i'm doing as like my thing and it's like yeah. a little bit a little bit uh different and it's not like a maybe like a mainstream yoga class. Like right. I don't do sun salutation, you know, I right. don't do a peak pose. I, my my orientation's a little bit different. So I would go teach 
maybe a group of seniors in a in the you know council on aging or something like that. I don't know that I really aspire to teach in a studio per se. If I could offer what I offer in a right. studio, yes, I would love to do right. that. But it isn't my focus right now yep. to um, to really be out there kind of shopping myself. Maybe maybe in a few years when I have more free time, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. I also think for for what, and we're gonna, I wanna talk a little bit about what exactly your presentation of yoga looks like, because I think it's helpful, especially for people who are listening, who do have people come to their classes, yeah who are different ages or have different physical challenges, or even those that are listening who want to focus on a particular mm -hmm. aspect of the population. When I think about what you're doing, I think of like a YMCA, like YMCAs are such, they're really trying, especially in Boston, to get more out there about what they offer. And they often see a wide range of ages. And right. so what you're doing, I think would, would work really nicely in that environment where you'd probably get people who have said they can't do yoga, but now through your presentation, which is kind of a niche way to present it, mm -hmm. they're feeling like, yeah, I can do it. I also taught, uh, I lived in Charlestown for a long time and literally right across the street from me was an assisted living center. Mm -hmm. And I would go over there once a week and teach yoga. And when I tell you, some people were on supplemental oxygen, some people had um, had walkers. Right. It was like a whole, most of it was sitting in a chair. Right. Sometimes they would stand behind their chair. Right. Uh, it was the most amazing thing. I did it for quite a while and I absolutely loved it. And then I would go and teach, you know, open classes at studios where there was heat. And then I would teach kids and I, I still have a wide repertoire, but um, I think there absolutely is a place for that outside of your home. I honor that you're, you're doing it in your house. And for many teachers, they like to have that as a component of what they do. Uh, I think it just brings up a whole bunch of other things. And the woman who can't climb the stairs is a perfect example, right? right. Yeah. So you're going to take your path, however, however it is. So tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing. Because I loved in your email, uh, being an anatomy teacher, I loved your focus on the erector spinae. And tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, um, you know, when I got my diagnosis of osteoporosis, I, I read that, you know, there's a doctor in New York named Dr. Fishman who claims that if you do these 12 yoga poses every day, it's going to cure osteoporosis, and he doesn't even recommend people uh, using medication. So I saw that, and then there's this woman who is a yoga teacher in Brookline, Massachusetts, and she was trained by Dr. Fishman, so I went to a few of her classes. She's a wonderful teacher, very down to earth. And so, you know, I had that sort of core understanding. And I also read what the contraindications are for osteoporosis, like, you know, really mild back bends, but nothing extreme. Um, really not recommended to do forward folds because you all, the, the risk in osteoporosis is those fractures where the spine curves forward. So you really don't want to go in that direction. So I don't, in my sequence, I have no forward folds. When we do forward folds, I emphasize hinging from the hip, keeping a flat back, and really focus on those erector spinae to lengthen them and strengthen them. Um, you know, so downward dog, the same thing. Everything is we're trying to keep the spine in a neutral position and, and lengthen it 
and get traction, but always not not with a forward curve. And I am constantly telling the students, no hunching, you know. Right, right. Don't... Let me just let me just I want to just interject right here for people listening who don't know what the erector spinny is. So you're referring to like I like to say the muscles that keep us erect that are near the spine. So I kind of visually describe to people when I'm teaching, um, they run along the sides of the spine. There are three sets of them Correct. and they help keep us erect. And sometimes in certain people, the lower back might have over, overly contracted erector spinae and they'll have a really big sway back in mm -hmm. their lower back. That can be a common experience. Um, as you say, when you hunch a lot, they can tend to get a little bit weakened because they're not doing their job of helping keep us erect. Right. So you focus a lot on that um, because of the connection to osteoporosis or how, how did that get? Well, I focus on safety. So, um, you know, in the forward folds, there could be a risk of fracture if the person did have really low bone density. So I just want, number one, it has to be safe. And then, um, you know, what is a person, an older person, what are their needs? They need stability. They need strength in their back to keep them erect. I always focus on posture. You know, we want, we don't want to look old. We want to look, you know, like we're, we're still, you know, upright and yeah. elegant and, and all this. Like again, especially for women, I think it's important um, to have that body sense of like, hey, you know, I feel good. I'm, I'm standing right. straight. I'm walking comfortably. Um, you know, I have one student who has scoliosis, so we do a lot of twists and side bends to get that stretch in the ribs on both sides. Yeah. Extending a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's just really ha helping them learn about the back. And you don't need to have a lot of flexibility in your, in your erector spinae. I tell them because you already have a natural curve in that. Right. So we, we want to lengthen and strengthen those, but not necessarily bend them back. Right. So if we're bending, we're focusing on bending the thoracic spine and in, increasing the, the bend to the rear because that's the opposite of the way that it naturally goes. So, but all of this is are things that I researched, you know, as I've gone, because I want to understand, you know, first came the sequence and then came the sort of explanation of why are we doing it this way? I knew intuitively that it was right but I didn't have all the anatomical knowledge to go with yeah. it. And that was where, you know, seeing your um, work online and listening to some of your um, videos and podcasts yeah. and so on, just made me realize how important it was for me to know the names of the parts of the body. And that's really helped me. That was kind of a missing piece for me. Yeah, I think too, you so beautifully laid it out in terms of, you know, kind of this progression of, teaching from action and alignment and sequence mm -hmm. without 100% understanding the anatomy behind it, which because that tends to be the bigger nut to crack, it takes more time to learn that. Um, and so that's why, as you're saying, and what I always coach people on is stick with what you know, which mm -hmm. as a newer teacher, you know the what to do, which is the action. Right. And it turns right. out that's the easiest thing for people to get anyway, you know, right. reach, you know, reach up high, whatever it is. And right. you know the shape because you know what the shape looks like. So you can right. say stack your knee over your heel, stack your shoulders over your hips. 
but there is that missing link of the anatomy, the shoulder blades, the spinal, whatever, all of these things. So don't go there until you have a good comfort level with this, and then you're doing the learning, and then you kind of titrate that stuff in, and that completes the picture in a way. Yeah, and I think for the students too, if they know the pose in their bodies and then I'm telling them this is what you're doing with your body, then they get it. Whereas if I just started out by talking about the erector spinae, they they don't have a point of reference for it. Right. You know? So right. I think, you know, them learning it in their bodies, what I'm telling them to do. And then I'm telling them, this is really what you're doing and this is why. So I'm kind of learning along with them, which is nice. You know, um, we're all learning together. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, so when did you do your teacher training? It was August of uh, 2018. Okay. 2018, August, 2018. Okay. So now that you're done with your 200 hour, what kinds of things do you do to, it sounds like you do some trainings in person. You see something somewhere, you might go to something in person. What yeah, other... I I like to, you know, again, because, you know, focusing on the spine. So there's a wonderful Iyengar yoga teacher in Western Mass named Susan Elena Esquivel. And she is associated with Elise Browning Miller, who is like the most knowledgeable person about yoga for the back. <clears throat> so I've been out to Florence Mass to Susan Elena's studio to take a workshop from Elise on um, yoga for scoliosis. And then uh, Susan Elaine is going to offer one in December at Down Under Yoga in Newton. So I'm going to oh. go to that. So, I, you know, there is enough material out there, you know, for me and in what I'm interested in that I can um, specialize, you know, pick those things, especially I did attend a restorative yoga training. I have to say it's, it was very challenging for me. I think restorative yoga is not something that I'm going to be doing a lot of. Yeah. I, I felt like it was almost too much stretching, the passive yeah. stretching. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, I was kind of out of it for a couple of days after that. So I try to limit myself now to, you know, something that is going to directly help me in something that I can pass along to my students. Got it. Got it. So let me ask you this. So you were talking at one point during our conversation today about having a little bit of the nerves when you stand up in front of people. Let me just ask you this one question before I ask you another. Did you ever have that feeling when you were teaching kids, you know, your high school students? It was just kind of second nature to you, what you were doing. Not, not really. I, I always had, like I said, I, since I was five or six years old, I said, I'm going to be an English teacher. That was just something that's in my DNA. I think with yoga, it's more of the psychological aspect of they don't like me. They don't want to come. I'm doing something wrong. All of those thoughts that all of us have. I, I will say once the thing starts for an hour, it's fine. I know I have my sequence, okay. I have my, my script that, you know, I know what to say. I know the people now. And so, you know, once I get going, I'm fine. It's always that little sort yeah. of kind of stage fright, I guess you would call yeah. it. Yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah. Right. So would you say that being prepared has really helped? Oh, yes. You? Yeah. Absolutely. I write, I know not everyone does this, but I write out all my sequences and I have it next to me in case I forget. Because sometimes at the beginning, particularly with nerves, you forget. Like I, when I had a new sequence, I left out a whole section of it because I was just nervous. I was a little flustered, you know. So I have it all written out and I do refer to it. You know, I don't yeah. think there's anything really wrong with that. Yeah. And I'll even tell the students like, hey, I just 
changed the sequence and I don't remember all of it. So, you know, I'm going to like refer to my notes here and they're fine with that. That's the yeah. advantage of having a small group of people who, right. who are familiar with you. So, right. Right. No, I, I love that. I love just that kind of honesty that, I, you know, Hey, look, I'm not here to kind of perform and make it exactly. about personality. Exactly. I'm here as, you know, a person that's going to guide you through something that I know is really helpful for me. So it's just such an authentic and pure vibe to, to express. And I think people must really, you know, feel comfortable and relate to that, which makes it even more interesting because as you say, despite all of that, the, the kind of the ego mind is still at work with all of its little poking and prodding, which, which is absolutely one of those things that we all, that we all manage. So when you're teaching and you find things are coming up for you, do you have anything physical that you do to kind of ground yourself? Something that you're aware of? Uh, I mean, you have kind of the literal prop of you've got the sequence written out, which you brought in, in case of, but do yeah. you have anything that you do? Do you have kind of self conversations that you have or deep breathing? You know, techniques? Because I think that the nerves are more sort of like, anticipation not once i really get into it i know you know exactly what i'm going to be doing from start to finish i know exactly how long everything takes yeah if i look at the the time i'll say yep we're right where we need to be so i've done it enough times now that i have the pacing kind of down i you know sometimes i just say stop and take a drink of water like yeah maybe if i find myself speeding up I'll just say, okay, we're going to all drink water now and just like kind of stop myself. Right. And, and take a, take a breath, take a moment. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sometimes I say, let's take a child's pose. And I just yeah. kind of, ha, huh, I feel my feet on the ground. So I can, I can definitely relate to that. Right. Yeah. And I also, yeah, I also tell the students like, just really feel how the ground is supporting you. And you can always return to this sensation of like, you know, being supported um, by the, floor, the mat, whatever it is. You yeah. Know? So I try to do that for myself too. Just like, okay, I'm just going to lie here for a minute and just feel the floor supporting me. It's like, yeah. I'm okay. I'm not floating above the earth. You know, I'm grounded. Yeah. So that is something that, that I do. Yeah. Those things are, are helpful. Yeah. And yeah. it's a perfect example of how being a teacher and being a student, you know, how they say it's really the same hand, just different sides. The teacher mm -hmm. student is really very much the same. So in that description there it's it's very true what you would coach them to do is what you would do to yourself uh in those moments where you kind of feel yourself going up into your head it's like let me just give myself the same advice i would say to them right now feel your feet take a couple breaths um so i i totally can relate to that yeah so, i'm glad you asked that question because it is helpful to to have those things yeah sort of in your pocket and remember that oh i can take a drink of water or i can yeah. just lie on the mat for 30 seconds and just feel the floor like knowing that those are my go-to things that's a really good idea to have those that's a good strategy yeah and I mean for me I mean it sounds like when you say lay in the mat you're practicing with your class so you can also oh yeah I do all yeah. the poses with them yeah so uh, many teachers myself included don't do any practice with the class mm -hmm. so what my physical cue to myself and I just throw this out there in the event you have classes where you're not actually doing the yoga um, is I just feel my feet on the ground. I yeah. just really, really connect to my feet. And um, that kind of root chakra kind of energy mm -hmm. helps me 
huh, you know, even yesterday when I taught and I've been teaching 15 years, there was a gentleman I'd never seen before. And it was a fairly big class or about 25 people. And he kept stopping and just staring at me. It was really very disconcerting. And it was kind of the thing where I wasn't sure if, I, I wasn't sure if maybe he didn't understand what I was saying, or perhaps there was a hearing disability or there was English wasn't his primary language or and then I went into all these other scenarios, like maybe he hates the class. Like I literally was having this ongoing conversation, like the bubble uh, with the words, like the comic strip. Right. And this went on throughout the entire class. He would intermittently stop and just kind of look. And so I could see it out of the corner of my eye, but I wouldn't engage with it because there, were, there was work to do, right? right? And then true to form, as we were cleaning up and, and people were leaving, I like to stand by the door so that if people feel that, you know, they want to give some feedback or they right, might right. say, hey, you know, I have a question. A lot of times people, they'll want to ask a question, but they don't. And then if you hang around, they'll right, approach right. you. And he walked out and he goes, that was really great. I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, to myself, so every, never know. Every time, Karen, every time when I've thought, oh, this woman came to my class and she never came again and she hated it, every single time, it's exactly. always, it's always not that, you know exactly. what I mean? It's exactly. not that. Exactly. We, all these scenarios we make, it's got nothing to do with us. Right. And that's the hard lesson. But the important lesson to learn is that people are out there living their lives and, you know, maybe you're in their sphere of uh, orbit, maybe you're not. You know, but um, it's never about us. It's always just about them. Yeah, I don't know. I had mentioned on one of the earlier podcasts, I think, or maybe it was an email to a teacher about this theme, the book, The Four Agreements. Uh-huh. When he says, don't take the, two of the four, don't think, take things personally and don't make assumptions. And so right. those two scenarios were very much in play for me yesterday where I was making assumptions and taking it personally. And as he walked out, it had nothing to do with either. And I just was like, why do you do that? But it's, it's just human nature. And, and like you say, the self-coaching becomes really important in those moments as teachers and that we keep the bigger picture in mind. Hey, we're not here to get stuck in our own mess. We're here to be of service. And that, um, you know, when we readjust to that overall mission, it can allow us to put those things to the side and you know who knows but you do kind of chuckle right when you uh oh yeah have those things so let me just ask you one more thing before we wrap up so you had mentioned a little bit about this but i want to just kind of get an idea so where do you kind of see things going for you with your teaching what if you kind of had you know a little bit of a you know where where you think because it sounds like you have other things going on and you've yeah. got still your hand in your teaching, teaching. Yeah, well, I'm still, I'm still working and I work as a consultant. So my schedule is irregular. I don't have, every week is different. So it's hard, it would be hard for me to commit because right here in Dedham, they were looking for a chair yoga teacher for three mornings a week. And they said, well, you can do two. And I said, I really, I just can't commit to it because right. I could be a Monday that I'm working, could be a Monday that I'm not working. Um, so, you know, there are plenty of opportunities out there when I'm ready. I guess I still feel like I'm not, I don't have time right now, but also I'm, I'm not ready. Like I still want to learn more. I'm still putting it together in my head, like all the, all the components. 
Mm. And one thing, I just try to be transparent with my people that are doing yoga with me. If I go and learn something new, I say, hey, I learned this new thing. I'm going to share it with you. Mm. And I am very transparent about why we're here. We're here yeah. to improve our health. We're here to improve our posture. I'm not selling them on anything beyond just like really the physical and everything else is, is up to them. Mm -hmm. I think there is more to yoga and I would like to, you know, include that. But I, again, I feel like maybe down the road when I feel more, um, more knowledgeable, more experienced, more grounded, this is still, I haven't even been teaching a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I, you know, I again, you are, you, I hear all the things yeah. you're not ready, but you are teaching. So there, to me, when I hear that, there's that kind of dichotomy in a way. So you are not ready, you're saying, but yet you're doing the thing anyway, which is more props. Right. This is my mantra, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. That's, That's my it. mantra, but also don't forget. And you know, this in your own life, the value of life experience, yeah. you know, I have life experience. I've been in lots of difficult situations and I've come through them. So, you know, that, I, you know, if I were 28 years old and just starting out teaching yoga, I wouldn't have that life experience. And so, um, yeah. you know, I'm not ready in a yoga sense, but in a life sense, yes, yeah. I am. I've done, you know, all yeah. the things that anybody my age has done. So I guess yeah. that's the thing that really, it's like, I know I'm going to be okay. This is not the hardest thing that it's hard, very hard, uh, but hard in a good way and not the hardest thing that I've ever done. Yeah, that's great. And again, because you mentioned earlier, you know, exercise is such a big priority for you. Oh, yeah. You love to be able to share that with people and be a reason for them to connect to that. And so that, that has got to make you feel great when you go to bed at night, you know that you're helping people in that way as well. Well, I, you know, I had a woman stay in my house last summer and she was attending the same yoga teacher training that I did. And I said to her, you know, like a, a lot of times I feel like, you know, I'm not the right person to be teaching yoga. And she said, well, have you ever thought that you might be an inspiration to somebody? And I thought, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. I can yeah. think about it that way. So it's yeah. important to, to have a peer group that, you know, you can talk Absolutely. with that knows what you're going through. And Absolutely. that's why I really appreciate what you're doing, Karen, because sure. it's a connection for me. And I've many times felt kind of isolated, you know, like I'm out here doing stuff on my own yeah. and, you know. Yeah, no, that's great. And I'm glad, of course, that, that, you know, through the podcast, I'm connecting with people and it just puts the word out there. Yes. And um, I know this episode and the prior episodes, people have been downloading them and it's just great to, you know, I go out sometimes and do a training and someone will say, oh, I listened to that episode. And, you know, I think it's great to meet in person. I think the challenges are, you know, what they are to get people together. But, um, you know, through these virtual ways and podcasts and videos and that kind of thing, it's always great to kind of get the word out. So I'm happy to, you know, do the electronic thing and get the word out and really grateful that you were able to, to be on and share, share from your perspective. And I love the whole niche aspect of what you're doing <laughs> and just kind of the doing it anyway, even though you feel a little nervous and you feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome, which is you know, in all things, but in yoga in particular, since that's what we're talking about, really what we need to do is just kind of push through the fear and, um, and do it anyway. And that's how you develop the experience. 
Right. Well, I can tell you that um, even though I was a teacher for so many years, when I go now to do presentations or professional development with groups of teachers, I'm so much more relaxed and confident because of the experience teaching yoga. So it's brought a whole new dimension oh, wow. to, my, to my work and my life, which, you know, you think that you're done and you're all, you know, right. trained and everything. But um, yeah, that yoga, teaching the yoga has really allowed me to expand my consciousness of how I am as a teacher. So it's been just like, on the level of personal development, it's yeah. just been a really fantastic experience to do this at this stage of my life. And as my friend Robin says, I'm not done yet. Yes, you know? that is that is true. And I really, I really, um, I love that you're doing it in your home. And I hope that you have an opportunity to get out there in the public space and share it because I think what you offer is really needed and not a lot of teachers have the experience to right. do it, as well as the personal experience so right. they can really be authentic and sharing the value of this in their own body. And those kinds of stories, I mean, that is what social media is really just full of these days. It's I lost the weight or I stopped my anxiety or I finally was able to get on a plane or I finally made my first million dollars. It's coming from the personal mm. experience of someone and it's so powerful to the people that want that thing. So that's what you have. I mean, between you know your your life story and, and some of the physical challenges you've had, I think that would resonate so much with people. So I really hope that you, you know, kind of get out there more because I know that people could really benefit from from your teaching. Well, thank you. I appreciate that encouragement. And I'll probably be coming back to you to ask you for advice when I'm ready to really put myself out there. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I know you're, you're a marketing whiz. So. <laughs> uh, I have a couple of computer pieces in place and that certainly helps. So, But believe me, I am just learning Instagram Live and that has been a big nut to crack for me. And there's a lot of people younger than me that are like, oh, you have to be on Instagram Live. I'm like, oh my God, another thing to learn. But right, right, right. slowly but surely. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. I totally appreciate this. And we're recording this on a Friday in the next couple of days that will be live and I'll send you the link. And I can't wait for you to hear it and you can share it with your friends, especially any yoga teacher friends, the friends that you talked about. And actually, I also want to give you um, just one little note. When you mentioned Masha before, I know Masha. So yeah. I'll have to send her a copy of this as well or let her know that it's on the podcast because she was at one of my trainings and she's quite lovely. She, she was excellent. And I let her know that when I went back to the doctor, they said, you don't have osteoporosis in your hips anymore. And I wrote her a note that said, I'm crediting you with that. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It that's is amazing. See that those are the kinds of things that's just so, so great. So congratulations. And that's wonderful news. All right. Well, my friend, I applaud all that you're doing, Karen. You oh, really thank you. so much to support the yoga community here in Massachusetts and I'm sure outside. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on and I can't wait to send you the episode and um, I will talk to you soon, I hope. Thanks. Okay, have a great yeah. weekend. You too, bye-bye. Okay, namaste.